0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: So, Elliot, I'm glad you're here today because I, I wanted to sit you down and ask
0: you a couple questions. Oh. I wanted to ask you a few questions too. Like, what did you think of Blade Runner, seeing it for the first time? Oh, wow, you got to out me right off the bat. I yes. was gonna, I
1: was gonna come in with the questions. <laughs> like, you you see you see a child on the train tracks, and the other side there's a bunch of people.
0: What is your decision you make there, Elliot? Well, I take the fork in the road. I take it. If I see a fork in the road, I will take it. And I try to stay away from any jacking into certain uh reality matrices and also any uh synthetic looking people because you never know one might be a replicant which actually brings us to our two films today blade runner and blade runner 2049 its sequel uh, i'm i'm sorry elliot uh you, the answers were wrong there oh <laughs> I, I, I said the wrong answers. Oh, darn. Oh.
1: <laughs> but yes, no, Blade Runner. And yes, this is my first time seeing it. Thank you for getting everyone to now be like, yes. how can you be doing this when I only have seen Blade Runner for the first time? Hey, right. I
0: mean, like, literally, I'm glad you got to experience both these films firsthand. Like, yeah, and 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 get to watch them like back to back because that's the way they are meant to be seen. I mean, Blade Runner is one of the quintessential sci fi classic movies from the early 80s Uh, came out in 1982. Ridley Scott directed it. So he had just gotten off directing Aliens, and he went right into doing Blade Runner. I mean, how do you follow up al- or Alien a- and follow it up with Blade Runner? It's it's a- incredible.
1: You create a sci-fi film that's basically been replicated in video games and television and movies for the past however many years since the first one came out. Yeah,
0: you start a trend and you go, hey, uh, well, I'm going to try something new, and no one's done this before, and we're going to create a neo-noir sci-fi epic and adapt... A Philip K. Dick novel that had to deal with electric sheep. Yes, there are sheep in that book. Apparently, Deckard has a sheep in it that talks to him, and it it que- makes him question the whole existence of his life. And um, so he was Doctor Doolittle before Doctor Doolittle <laughs> was Doctor Doolittle. But with replicants, he's still tracking but guns. But, but, but with replicants, but I read like the the book. You in the book, Deckard still tracks down the replicants and to retire them and everything. But then there's also an IQ, uh like a very IQ less um AI that's sort of helping him. So there's like two stories kind of going along. What I love about Blade Runner seeing it for the first time,
1: I love sci-fi films that came out in the you know eighties and nineties that depict like what the world's gonna look like. And when we've already like for example Blade Runner the first one it's 2019 right yes 2019 looked nothing like what Blade Runner thought it would look like there are some aspects and elements kind of with I compare it to Back to the Future kind of did the same thing right it was mm-hmm. was it 2021 was the what was I, the year I think I think one? it was like
0: 2021 in the. my dad's gonna
1: kill me if I don't remember this because I'm pretty sure like it was 2021
0: film. because they go back and it's like the 20 they get the almanac and everything and yeah yeah yeah
1: but but it was cool (laughs) it was cool to see (laughs) your kids marty they're stupid what's what's wrong it's not you it's you're fine it's your kids (laughs) but no what i I love to see how kind of when we were talking to to mark as well you know when he was saying about how people viewed sci-fi and things back then Mm -hmm. how they viewed how they thought 2019 was going to look it was very you know dark and Neon-esque, like you said, that neon, that noir-esque type look to it. Well, I I found that
0: super interesting. If you kind of know what what was going on in the world around that time, it's before the Berlin Wall fell. You know, 1989 was like technically when the Cold War officially ended. So you had a lot of sci-fi that was all this doom and gloom because you had the threat of a nuclear holocaust happening in whatever country that you lived in, especially the United States and Russia. So, you know, like, literally, they had so much firepower that they could literally blow up the world, you know, several times over, and we would be left with nothing. That's why we got films such as Terminator, Blade Runner, Alien, Mad Max, and Mad Max. Yeah, you had all these <laughs> post-apocalyptic films. Sci-fi was like where post-apocalyptic films really flourished. And really kind of made their staple of, hey, you guys should be aware. This is what we could end up going down this route. Uh, And it's almost like they were tapping into another universe or another multiverse in a a sense. Because, you know, they're not saying 2019, this is what 2019 will look like. I believe it was more of a suggestion of this is where humanity itself could end up if we don't do something now and the funny thing is yeah we're starting to get aspects of um of Blade Runner that you know of Blade Runner's world uh, they're starting to seep into our own world and reality as we know it right now because I mean look at all the the, the forest fires that we had last year and actually past couple of years no, and past someone couple years, took yeah. actually took that aerial shot of a, i think it was like a drone flying over the burning cities and all the smoke that we had and just put blade put actually vangelis's score to it and it literally was like a watching blade runner but it's our reality well, yeah remember when
1: remember when san fran yeah that's where was it was that was year, san fran it was, was san fran. basically yeah san yeah. francisco
0: yeah it looked something out of a out of yeah. movie and i'm going like this is blade runner now and all we need now is i mean we're already starting to see signs of the overpopulation and you know food shortages in the world we and have we, the robots. We, already, we already want ai to take over for us we're already developing drones that are oh, literally yeah. like i just saw in a military magazine they now have drones refueling planes in midair for you know for the air force and you know like we're literally building skynet even though james cameron warned us all the way back in the 80s dude you need to stop doing this and don't go down this route because you're going to blow yourself up but i think that's
1: as we as humans that's just something that's going to naturally happen right because we're we are a species that wants to continuously (laughs) grow and adapt well we're also we're also brilliant too Think about everything that all the technological advancements we've made in yeah. our lifetime, and we're not right. very old, right? I mean, look what Elon Musk has done in the past, what, five, mm-hmm. 10 years?
0: Well, like look communications. At, look at all these, these,
1: these inventions that have come and Yeah, and communications,
0: cell phones, so, iPhones. Yeah, the fact travel. that we can now communicate with all parts of the world in the blink of an eye is just amazing. Like, you ever see the diagram of the world uh, encompassed in all the satellites that are up there? It's it's, it's yeah. literally a Skynet array that just powers our communications and ha- allows us to talk with one another. I mean, we take a lot of things for granted, though. That's the thing. And I think with a lot of these films, especially Blade Runner, most importantly, Blade Runner, because it set up what followed and it inspired a lot of directors, too, because no one like Ridley was... A genius to begin with with Alien and when Alien came out he in the 70s I think it was like late, late 70s he like really put his f- staple on the sci-fi genre and became an author director in that field and it only made sense for him to kind of follow up with Blade Runner and with Blade Runner though he did a lot of really cool things where you know they shot most of it on the back lot at Warner Brothers. And they had to make a whole world uh, believable and make it look like it's in a dystopian future and bring a lot of Sid Mead's concept designs, who was the main concept artist on the project uh, and a futurist to begin with, He, he his designs, you know, they had to try to create all those and build, you know, all the cars and the hovercrafts and and such. And the cool thing was, like, I don't know if you if you read this, or or if you know, that when they were shooting, they also piped in a lot of Vangelis's beautiful score for the film, so that the actors could feel like they were in the space and feel like they're in the world of Blade Runner. They're actually in. Which I thought was like, That's how you're supposed to do it, (laughs) because especially if you have your composer who's so into the project and has music already built for the project, why not use it and use it in that way? Because it only adds to the realism and, and the performances that you'll get from your actors.
1: Yeah, and that actually brings up a great point. I remember reading something about Harrison Ford saying when reprising his role in the new Blade Runner 2049 that he was a lot more, you know, acceptable to do it because he, first he liked the script, but also this shooting was not as rig- rigorous yeah. and r- relentless because he was saying the first movie was oh, yeah. absolutely just, just Well, they had terrible. to shoot it at night yes.
0: to, because Ridley had this idea of, hey, well, the only way we can really kind of contain the world but pre- like pretend that it's out there is to do this with model work and also with containing the set and just shoot it at night and just lots of mm. rain. I mean, th- oh my God, there's so much rain in Blade Runner 1. It's, it's, <laughs> there is. But re- however, the rain becomes almost a symbol of that dreamlike quality that the film, both films, 2049 and the original Blade Runner, both have because it's a very internalized story because we're all the the main question is what makes us human what makes us real and this kind of also came up you know i mean matrix took from this especially the matrix you know Mm -hmm. and we even talked a little bit about this with mark on our previous episodes um and the fact that It is an internalized story and archetype. The way Ridley conveyed this whole world and shot it is, I mean, like rain is the main, like is the main symbol for it. And also the contrasted imagery, like the contrasted imagery of the grittiness with also kind of the beauty of the image that you're seeing, because he does things with neon light that I've like, especially, uh, Cronenweth, who's uh, the cinematographer on the first Blade Runner, um, I think it's John Cronenweth, he painted with light. I mean, it's it's like a master painter, like a Vermeer painting, and they just went crazy with it, um, and isn't it interesting how neon
1: became like the yeah. futuristic light source like every every futuristic film you see now sci-fi film neon is such a big proponent in the lighting yeah. like what? well it's I believe interesting the, the, right the,
0: a lot of that influence though is from asia it's it's from japan and tokyo because tokyo They really, you know, they have so many people living on top of each other and stuff. And the city itself, when Mm -hmm. at night, is all neon. And Mm -hmm. neon becomes like this great light source for a lot of cities, too. Because and the move for love. love. Yeah, in the move. We saw in the move for love. And yeah, there's a great example. Blade Runner was like a great continuation of the tradition of Asian film and cinematography to it was great. It was a great meld of West because we see it in the film itself. It's a great blend of Western and Eastern cultures because they're all living on top of Mm -hmm. each other. And we have this overpopulation and, and, and just, yeah, everyone living on top of each other and the blending of cultures, which the future, that's what it's probably going to be because, and that's interesting because, you know, everyone's learning to live together and we have to live together in this world because we only have one world and we got to take care of it kind of thing. Kind of like what, how, how Miyazaki was saying with his films. Yeah. There was something you, you talked about that I
1: wanted to touch on when you were saying it was an internal, uh, idea. Basically the whole film was, uh, I got from, you know, it's that chase for longer life for that eternal life, I guess you could say. And I was, I was comparing it to some of the films Mm -hmm. we have watched and haven't watched Yeah, the 13th floor i thought was a great one and then also uh indiana jones with the last crusade when they're going for the yep. the holy grail to try and uh, obtain that and that's also
0: harrison Ford, which i find you know quite <laughs> ironic well yeah because like Har- yeah harrison like he's made his he he he's he's put his footprint across like all different um franchises exploration genres and like well he's got that very yeah. male dominant um And he's a great actor and he just, he's believable in the Mm -hmm. roles he takes on. I mean, he's such, he's a like, you like him immediately as soon as he gets on. It's interesting though, like in Blade Runner, it's a little contrasted because you kind of are like, am I, is he a good guy or do we not really like him or do we like him? Because, okay, there's multiple times in this film where he looks like he's almost a replicant himself. Most Notably, when they're at Deckard's apartment and Deckard kind of comes behind Rachel and the light trick, especially in the final cut of Blade Runner, the light tricks on their eyes and they both look like replicants. And I know Ridley Scott has totally denied this, but it would make the most sense, you know, that they would not know because they've been so ingrained. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the fact that when we get to 2049 the Blade Runners are actual replicants. So, yeah, it's just again, it's continuing that like, well, we couldn't really make Deckard. We can't officially say he is, but let's let's make K a replicant Blade Runner and see how he does as like kind of the lead, because we don't really see in Blade Runner 2049. We don't see Deckard until like three quarters. The very, very end. end, You know, so. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great choice by by Scott to do that because if he came out and said, "Oh, he was a replicant," I love that he leaves it up to the audiences like and an it interpretation. Be. I know. I remember. Yeah, exactly. I remember when we were talking about it before. That was a couple of days ago. I think we were like gaming <laughs> or something. We were talking about it, and you were like, "Well, he might." Oh no, we were watching yeah. Twenty Forty Nine, and you're like, "Well, he might be." I was like, "Oh, really?" So Elliot, if yes. personally you. Do you think that Deckard was a replicant or is a replicant?
0: Oh, yes, I, I really do believe he is because I've seen Blade Runner so many times, the original Blade, and, and I've seen all the different cuts of the film and we'll get to that. But, you know, in every cut that I've seen of the film, it just kind of there's all these clues that lend it, itself to saying and to uh, supporting the fact that he is a, a an actual replicant and he's not human, you know, especially his connection with Rachel because she, he couldn't even tell Mm -hmm. she was a replicant when he first meets her. And the fact that they are drawn to each other. And also the fact that I would say also, especially that scene at his apartment, when we see his eyes and how the light, the light kind of hits him and I would also say the dream, at least in the final cut, Ridley kind of added in this recurring dream that Deckard has of a unicorn. And the mm-hmm. whole idea of memory, like t- memories of green and memories of... Because basically the replicants are given these implanted memories that are not their own. They're our actual person, a, a real person lived this. So the fact that these AI are given these dreams so that they actually can function and have it, it's weird because they're like they don't have a soul but actually it, our memories really define us and and as human yeah we remember things the the fact that we can remember and actually have shared experiences is a definition of a soul and you you have to have and and that connection that we have with remembering like a birthday even or just how something smelled or how something felt you
1: have those you'll go back to that yeah like if you walk into say your parents house yeah. and you you smell like a, maybe the, your mom's yeah. baking something or something like that it instantly transport you back to like mm-hmm. a certain time and I found it interesting I love dreams I love talking about dreams and I think this movie kind of gives you that little bit of with with the replicants and things but I find it so interesting that the dreams we are, or, or not even just dreams, but memories, but the, the memories we remember are the ones that are either the mm-hmm. most traumatic or, you know, that normally they're probably yeah. the most traumatic. It seems like those are the ones that we can recall, like every single thing about them, but there's also the happy dreams and each one can, can evoke such an emotion mm-hmm. from you that, you know, you, even though it's happened maybe 20 years Back from where we're at now, it still has that same effect on you, and I find that interesting that that was the route they went with with the replicants of you know planting those Mm -hmm. memories in their heads, and then they're still reacting to those because those, like you said, that helps create a soul that that creates a human being. Our experiences and our our memories is what ultimately makes up our lives because when we're gone, or you know when the people we know are gone. All we have to remember them by is the time we have with them or the things that we we, we experience. That we hold on to. The replicant
0: concept of AI, and like the fact that AI, they were even talking about this all the way back in the 80s, is the fact that, you know, we, we also make ourselves in the way that supposedly, I mean, whatever you believe religiously, we're made in a God image. And the fact that we try to then do that mm-hmm. to robots is this cyclical uh, concept that keeps coming up with when it comes to creating life. And yeah, there's always been that thing like stop trying to play God. Yeah, exactly. And it, again, this is also the underlying tones of Blade Runner's themes um, are how do we create like what how far do we go to create life and how far does that life then become we're just creating a workforce slave labor basically mm-hmm. and how much say do they have and how much you know it and it, the and how much oppression they're experiencing and you know then they're we're just treating them like animals We're it, it literally is like the humans create the AI as like like livestock to help them, you know, do simple functions, just do their normal functions. And yeah, a lot of anime uh, shows really, uh, Japanese anime shows really have kind of toyed with this notion of how far do we go? Tell a robot is just you know a tool rather, or is a human rather than a tool? Should be a human rather than a tool yeah. because the fact that it can think breathe speak and have actual intellectual thought processes and not be just a mindless drone gives it a soul that's the point yeah i was about to say that's the point when it has a
1: soul and when you have a soul that's what makes you a living being yeah a, a true human yeah and and you see that you see that a lot you know what you're talking about them being more like slaves and just to do the work, you see that a lot more in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, especially with the
0: character of K, because he's a replicant struggling with the fact that he is just a tool of the police department. He's not regarded. He's not respected. He barely. He barely has like a place to live. Mm-hmm. He, you know, the only joy that he gets is actually joy. Yeah, ironically, herself, right? Which, which I thought was really interesting because. The fact that the people who made him created like a companion character for him, an AI, like a simulated partner for him, that's not flesh and blood. It's just a like it's a bunch of as she said, as bunch. I'm just a bunch of zeros and ones. Um, yeah, and, and I think that that connects to that whole.
1: I, I wrote this down when I was watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, we as humans first, you know, they say sex sells, right? Yeah in the world, but I, you know, there's so much more to that. There's that emotional connection that, you know, just the sexual pleasure can't fully grasp because mm-hmm. that's, that's ultimately what, what carries us through life with, you know, whoever we may end up with yeah. or, or whoever we may, you know, encounter it's the emotional connection. Right. And that's what he's, that's what he's craving in the film. And then he finally does get the, you know, sexual, sexual, Uh, pleasure physical from from the yeah the the actual physical side of things but it's still it's such a it's such a it's such a powerful just whole uh moment throughout the whole film whenever they're interacting together it's like Mm -hmm. man it really makes you think about you know all the relationships you form that they're all based on just you know back to memories and and emotions and similarities and things you've shared and and then you go and you
0: pair those together and you, then you share more memories together. Yeah, and, and what really constitutes that connection? I mean, mm-hmm. the connection that Kay has with joy is more of a, yeah, there's a, a longing for the physicality side of love. But the love kind of comes from, I would say, more of an intellectual Meeting of yeah. minds because they are just robots and the communication, they're the only ones that th- they have to talk to, you mm-hmm. know. So th- the fact that Joy becomes almost like a therapist for k is kind of cool yeah. too. She's like his therapist. She's like a, like a conscious in, in a way, a conscience. Conscious, yeah, in a way, like a, um, a surrogate to help him cope with not being human. And It's like the Pinocchio thing where, you know, they want to be a real boy. They want to be a real Mm -hmm. human and they will try to find. I mean, especially in Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, Roy Batty is the ultimate Pinocchio archetype character because he's trying to be real and and try to find longevity and just live. He wants to live. And the fact that he has seen so many things. I mean, the the greatest quote that he ever did, and especially uh, Roy Batty's played by Rucker Hauer in Blade Runner, um, and he this the great scene of him at the very end of the film where he's literally about to die, and he says, "I've seen things you people wouldn't believe." Attack, you know, uh, the tannhauser Gates speech. Basically, all the moments will be lost, like in time, like tears in the rain. And Mm -hmm. he actually, he, he, well, and he literally uh, Rucker Howard is such a great actor that he came up with that on the day of the shoot and stuff. And they were like, let's try it. And it's now part of the great, great speeches, uh, great speeches of sci-fi history. And, but in that moment we get who, like, and especially Deckard gets who Roy Batty is that Mm -hmm. it doesn't, You could be a bunch of circuitry and such, but the fact that you have the will to want to live and like live on like when and and what does any human want is to pass their knowledge and pass their their experiences on to the next generation and feel like we've lived a good life and we've passed on some kind of part of ourselves to the next generation on this earth, you know, and that it was all not meaningless. You know, yeah,
1: and the fact that he saves Deckard, mm-hmm. that he's saving, he's saving an actual life. Because he knows that he's not he he's
0: well, he's a not, combat he's model. And he th- knows it's over, yeah. His programming is to destroy. And the fact that he switches that program, even though he's lost everything, he finds the humanity within himself to let Deckard live. And Spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I If you haven't seen Blade Runner yet. <laughs> I can't say, you can't
1: tell, you can't blame me anymore. I've seen it. I've know, seen both I know, of them. I know. Now you've actually seen it. Now you got to watch all like
0: 20 cuts of it. <laughs> then, all right, then, some, uh... then, then, <laughs> then, then, then your life will be complete, Trevor. It'll be okay. <laughs> um, oh. I, I. But anyway, like with, with those um things in mind, like the fact that humanity yeah humans yeah they literally want to live on and and be able to pass something on of themselves and give of themselves i mean that's the most selfless act that a human could do is to sacrifice oneself for another or save someone you know yeah
1: well you're you're speaking on the villain of the first
0: blade runner yeah. i'm talking about
1: play on names uh The one of the main villains is love. Yes, in Blade Runner twenty forty forty nine, and one of those famous saying is like "Love hurts," Mm -hmm. and I just find it so interesting that I I don't know if I should spoil it, but love kills joy. Yeah, kills Kay's only joy.
0: Right, and it's it's crazy how they do the play of names in in twenty forty nine because of you know, and also she has. I mean, love herself is a very, very uh, interesting character because she has the love of her master. She wants to please him, and that's part of her programming. But then she starts working outside of her programming, and she just wants the—she gets power-hungry. She almost becomes like a—you know, it's like the sin of man was put in her programming, and whereas Joy was— Given more of the love and support system that humans, yeah, she's compassionate and compassion that humans have. So it's interesting that the it makes sense because the replicants are just mirror images of ourselves, and Mm -hmm. of while in twenty forty nine, they're mirror images of Tyrell's corporation building them, and also then eventually Neander Wallace's, played by Jared Leto, his. (laughs) <laughs> creepy characters, corporation, and how he, they just are cranking these replicants out just to serve a serve man and pleasure, give them pleasure and and give them something that humanity inevitably kind of is lost at that point because the world's imploded. Mm-hmm. You know, it's after the blackout that happens where all the I think it's like all the electric. Basically, an EM pulse blacks out the city. Actually, uh, they did a anime short of Blade Runner 2020, I think, or 2021. It, it was um, an anime series, like just an anime short film where they just they show the blackout that happens that was talked about. Um, they st- yeah,
1: speaking of that, that was two years, two days ago, in actual 2020 time. Oh, really? 2021 time.
0: Yeah, yes. Blade well, Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You, know, you want to hear something really interesting though? We watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine on six ten twenty one, and it that's the date that popped yeah. up in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And I'm going yeah, like, that's, that's true. Yeah, I didn't plan that, guys. What I are the odds <laughs> of that, right? Because I, I, I'm going because it popped up on our Instagram uh, for one of the cinema. Uh, shows that way showed shows detectives. at film detectives that <laughs> no, uh, shameless plug shameless plug and <laughs> the uh s- something came up and it was the shot of when k is at sapper's tree and he see he mm-hmm. finds the date six ten twenty one 21 that rachel gave birth to her baby and she also died as well so it's i was like wow that's are we pre are are we real trevor are we programmed are we pre-programmed to just like watch blade uh, runner 2049 every time on six ten twenty one? 21 yeah right the next year it will it'll be, be like actually wait. the time now <laughs> and you'll be like wait elliot i'll, I'll
1: call you up be like elliot synchronize uh, i know you're probably busy but it's 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 uh 6 2022 20, it's time to watch blade runner again <laughs>
0: I mean, even though it's a year past, I know if, if it's about that time, you know, I, I watch this film at least once or twice a year. So <laughs> maybe more depends. Another thing I wanted to point out about both
1: the films, when we talked about the, the first one happening in 2019, and the you know, the the landscape of what LA looked like and everything like that, I found it very interesting that in 2049, it's basically the same look. They did, I mean, you know, of course, better mm-hmm. cameras, better setups and everything, but... Better technology. The city and, mm-hmm. Yeah, better technology, but the city, the cars, the everything doesn't really look that... The buildings, everything
0: doesn't look that much different. And that's what a lot of sequels get wrong. They try to... Especially when you have such an iconic classic that you're using as... uh, And, and you're building a sequel... A roadmap, basically. A roadmap yeah. for... And they try to change all the technology to make it look, you know, futuristic and new and and sparkly clean, like almost like a Star Trek type of thing. But they, you know, with Blade Runner, that's not the case because I think when De- um, Denny Villeneuve uh, actually came on board on the project, he knew the tradition that he was getting into and he, he, he yeah. also, well, he knew the world he was getting into and he knew that he had to uh, pay homage to the, the, the classic film that came before it. And thankfully, well, no pressure, thankfully, you know, thankfully Ridley came back and most of the producers and writer of the originals of the, of the original movie came back to do this film. And by 2049, you know, the fact that we have better technology and such. The, the great thing, though, is even though we have CGI technology and what it is today, Villeneuve really tried to keep that analog look to it and, and the real quality of um, miniatures, mirror, like layered with CG and also physical, ele- actual physical elements and probably and also ma- matte painting because Blade Runner was really kind of the last what I consider analog films of CG before the CGI boom kind of came and you know the fact that they used matte painting model work the model work on Blade Runner 1 and also Blade Runner 2049 is just incredible on 2049 they brought I I think I told you they brought back uh Weta Workshop uh well actually not brought back they brought on a Workshop to do the miniatures for Blade Runner 2049. And they've done Lord of the Rings. You know, they really are the top studio miniature bigature set designers out there and props mm-hmm. and such. They built a lot of the props as well, which was really it gave it this great realistic feel because, you know, the f- when you with sci-fi, you have to have the budget You have to have the right people overseeing the the overall vision of the film, and you know you have to have a respect for where the film, like especially if you're doing a sequel, where the uh, material is, you know the the uh, source material is, and um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, Denny really knew that what he had and how to do that because he's such a great director and visual artist himself I mean he did Arrival he did Prisoners and then he ended up doing Blade Runner 2049 and he's going to be doing the new Dune movie that's coming out too which is he's the fact that he's staying in the sci-fi genre is great because sci-fi it gives you so many as a director it gives you so much freedom to paint the world you want and and play around with the s- stories and 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 find different new characters that have never been really explored before yeah and
1: i i think that's a i think it's like a perfect balance of of mixing cgi with with a real set per se because when you when you talk about that it makes you think when i was working on uh, the mandalorian they had basically full sets built yeah. but they still had and it, you've seen it and if you've seen the thing the CGI wall that can create like the other half of a, a spaceship or whatever yeah. but they built still the main part because I feel like that's so essential for something especially in sci-fi because it's that much more believable to you know we as actors are trained to you know we're supposed to be able to create things ourselves but when you have something like that or you're in that setting or you're either playing the music like you were talking about in the first Blade yeah. Runner it just gives the actor and the, everybody on that set so much more of a just a, a creative idea of like what is going on and to be able to yeah. immerse themselves into what is happening and I, case, I I mean, find it's it gives them
0: tactile you know, it's it's not of it's not a blue screen and yeah and the like you you see it on films like oblivion you see it on tron legacy you've seen it like they built real sets they built those costumes they the actors are then able to live in the characters and mm-hmm. feel like they are in the world whereas like if you're you got them up against a green screen or a blue screen it's like and and you got a little prop going like okay the giant spaceship is coming at you it's gonna be this little red dot di- here it comes it, you know, it, it, you have to use a lot of your imagination, of course, but those it is some of the funniest it, videos. Yeah, seeing those. The bloopers are great, but right yeah. where they're like, here comes the ship, and yeah, you yeah. duck yeah. and you feel scared. <laughs> okay. Ah. <laughs> so the fact that more sci fi films, you know, are they can be given a budget of this caliber and have visionary directors on it too. I mean, you have Ridley Scott. A, producing yeah. and then you have you know Denny Villeneuve who's like one of the top directors that have come out how about the cinematographer and of course Roger Deakins as cinematographer you have like <laughs> that's like a blending of the best of both of all three worlds kind of thing and Roger Deakins even said like I don't like shooting on blue screen and green screen it it looks synthetic and the lighting looks terrible usually I mean mm-hmm. i.e uh star wars the prequels uh Clo- attack of the clones and <laughs> and and uh return of the jedi and phantom menace there's a they shot so much of those three films on green screen that it looks like it they don't hold up over the years i mean mm-hmm. they have their place in his- in film history but the fact that even though i'm not a big fan of the new trilogy that came out at least they shot on film, 70 millimeter. They also use tactile real props and robotics and animatronics to create the world. And the thing is, like, we have the technology to improve the animatronics and also the creatures and stuff. And And the budgets are so much bigger. and, And the lazy way is to, you know, just do it CG. I'm like, no, it has to be a blend of the two because then you get this beautiful... Depth to your film, and it feels more realistic, and it feels like it, it transports. I think the viewer and immerses them more in the world that you're showing. I mean, yeah, it's one of the one of the
1: going back to Star Wars for a moment. One of the biggest arguments I could think of is with with Grogu. Mm-hmm. The talk was to you know make him uh, a puppet, if I'm correct. Yeah, but they were like, no, it ha- it has to be an actual animatronic. And seeing like that live, like in person, yeah, the the I there's just, there's no words for that. Like there's just no words for that. Well, it's like it's, it's
0: another level compared to what it you know a puppet with the right puppeteer, you have it, the creature will come alive. Yeah, and you get a great perf- and it's it's acting with puppetry, you
1: know, and yeah. But the fact that it was all animatronic is like that. That was just it's incredible right yeah because they could have gone the easier route and just you know done a puppet I, but
0: I, e, uh they the overlay of cg that the prequels have of the yoda it was originally he was originally a puppet like the old the the like old version of yoda yeah in the prequels uh-huh. like attack of the clones return of the jedi uh or not return of the jedi um return uh revenge, revenge of the of sith the, sorry yeah. wow revenge of the sith and hell yeah you ever seen star wars before uh, i'm tired man <laughs> <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, and Phantom Menace. Yoda was a puppet originally, and then they went back and replaced him with CG. And it's it looks like they did, unfortunately. So, yeah. you know, like with Blade Runner 2489, I was very happy to see a sci-fi film again use miniature model work and also well, they call them bigotures because they're giant. They're about the size of a sound stage, usually, and they they're able to get super hyper micro macro detail on these beautiful sets that model workers create mm-hmm. so i I think with twenty forty nine like it was a great homage and and bringing back of the characters to the universe and bringing us back into the blade runner universe and i'm I'm just so. Amazed? Well, I'm not. I'm I, actually. I wouldn't say amazed. I would say I'm just sad that this also got the same reception that the first one did. And I, I was looking into that actually, and uh, I was
1: reading what Scott was saying, and he was saying most likely it was time. And I can understand that because we've had this conversation about some of the stuff we've watched, right? Yeah. Nobody. Time is so valuable to people nowadays. Look at. For example, TikTok, right? Yeah, we scroll every two seconds for a, if we don't like a, a two-second clip, we scroll, right? Yeah, it's people's attention spans are not the same as they were. Yeah, I, I, you know, back in the back in the older days, it's just yeah. we want content and we don't want to sit for three hours nearly at a movie theater. However, and that's just the reality of the it. The
0: thing is, though, you're denying yourself the intellectual artistry of a, a piece of artwork. I mean, yeah. it literally. Yeah. These people put all their heart, souls, and blood, sweat, and tears into this film, and yep. it's a great story. It The thing is, it, at least it speaks to me. I, I mean, yeah, some people yeah. it might not speak to, because like, I mean, a great example of Blade Runner, uh, the original Blade Runner, when it first came out, showed it to a test screening audience, and they went, I don't get it. So yeah. Ridley had to then put a voiceover of Harrison Ford very begrudgingly talking <laughs> about what's going on on camera because no one understood I shot this guy in this and scene, and the fact that I was mad the fact that a lot of the general populace the, of viewers couldn't get that is just it's I'm I don't I'm like well I mean I grew up on sci-fi so I think if you yeah. don't grow up on it and are used to the tropes and and what the stories are then I think it's kind of like you're in for like a rude awakening. And I, I found it interesting just watching 2049 again, because there's a lot of things that 2049 kind of pays homage to in the original Blade Runner and will pick scenes that have a very similar feel to it or the characters going through similar things that Deckard went through in the first movie. That's why when they do meet up, it's almost like a meeting of, oh, you're... Who I am, we're the mm-hmm. same. We're one and the same in a way. And at, at one point, Kay even thinks that he's actually human. Again, it goes to the robot's replicants wanting to be human because they envy humans for a lot of things. They have rights, they have freedom to do what they want and treat people who they want. They have the freedom to love, they have the freedom of connection and want. So that want and connection that Kay is wanting adds to his want to become human.
1: Yeah. And I think the point that really when you're talking about, you know, he doesn't know he 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 thinks he's human at one point is the point when he thinks that he is the son of Rachel, it's like because he realizes like he was a baby, right? He he started from nothing and grew into what he is. And that's that's where the point is like. Later he finds out, of course, he's not. And his
0: memory tricks him to make him yeah, believe that he Because is he has human. that and it's and it's an obscure memory that the real child of Rachel gives him. And it's uh the whole time I was like I was really hoping that they were like, Oh, he's actually is human and he doesn't realize if he's human or not. That would have been a cool little yet. twist. Because again, they can't tell, they look super realistic. We, you know, the skin, the eyes, everything, they act human. And, and then when... Oh, go ahead. I mean, the fact that humans have created uh, re- replicants in their own image is just... That's what we're doing right now.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: With and with AI.
1: Pretty much. And then when he actually... When Kay meets... Uh, Deckard's daughter and realizes that he's not. That moment is just so powerful because it's like he he thought he was he thought he was real, you know. Like I'm um, um, just imagine everything you've you've experienced or you've thought or you've you've dreamt or or all those things in the past that have happened to you. Imagine if it's all a lie. Yeah, and you see that in that your world just, scene, your world. You see
0: everything just collapse yeah. on him it it he literally implodes It it's almost like his brain couldn't can't handle it and he kind of short circuits in a way yeah and doesn't know what to do
1: and well that's it, such a hard concept to grasp like how do you even how do you even
0: grasp that right well it'd be like finding real. it'd be it'd be yeah like finding out that you're not real that none of what i do matters or none of what I'm put on this earth to do matters. It's it, it that would be, then you, f- it, it makes you feel alone, shallow and real, like just depressed and literally empty inside.
1: Yeah. There is no, there's no purpose because yeah. we all, we all believe we have a purpose of being on this earth. Mm-hmm. And if you take that away, then geez, like I, that that hit me when I, when I, when I saw that scene, I was just like, I, I can't imagine. I, it's almost, you know, it's almost like when someone starts losing their memory in old age mm-hmm. and they can't remember who you are or who they are. It's frustrating. What's happened. It's, it's frustrating, but yeah. it's, it's just incredibly sad because mm-hmm. everything that, that they experienced
0: and went through life is just gone. Well, you start losing parts of yourself. That's what Alzheimer's yeah. and dementia is. You start losing parts of your brain and memory. They just it starts degrading, unfortunately, because you know you're getting older and it, it genetically or you know maybe by even what happens in the <laughs> the air. Possibly, you know, you don't we don't know what really triggers it. The fact that they start to lose a part of themselves that frustrates people, and that's why a lot of people get violent when you know mm-hmm. they start or they just lose their minds in a way it's, it is, I mean, like it's a mental degradation of your soul. You're losing your soul. You're losing part of who you were. And yeah, yeah, I I think with, with, with Kay's character, he's such a multidimensional character, even though he's a replicant, the fact that he's going through all these emotions is pretty extraordinary for he is a more advanced model than the ones that we do see in blade runner the original um but still like has certain hangups that they've had because there's like certain barriers put in place by wallace's company so that they don't really revolt Mm -hmm. and stuff but if you work beyond your programming and grow and evolve there's no stopping that i mean that's part of what makes us who we are as people yeah we have to evolve we have to grow as people and learn and uh, learning from experiences and learning from our shared memories of our past learn from our past and look to our future
1: like you know carol said in our last episode always keep learning yeah always keep gaining new knowledge because otherwise what's the point right exactly And, and i love i love that a lot of our episodes uh, we get, i mean they come back to humanity of course because blade runner is yeah. so much deeper than just like a sci-fi action film it's but a it's philosophical
0: about, it has a philosophical message both films have it's about the soul yeah it's about the soul what makes us about your soul yeah about all of our souls actually yeah no no, yeah, your, no, soul. Yeah. <laughs> no, no your, your soul no your soul no your soul really
1: it, it's such a it's such a deep film that if you if you look past just the you know, the, the sci-fi portions of it and, and the beautiful cinematography and the great story and the fantastic, you know, performances, it's, there's like, kind of like you said, right? When the first group of people saw it, they didn't get it. Yeah. And that's because it's not just a surface level film. It's really, I mean, we've, this is probably our longest, (laughs) this is probably our longest episode of of like a non-guest episode. And it's because like, there's so there's, much to... And we joked about, we joked about before we started that this would be one of our shortest episodes, yeah. but it's because there's, <laughs> the soul is just so, it's beautiful because everybody's is, is unique to them and, and, and memories and, and thoughts and, and things you are good at and things you, you know, you want to pursue and experiences are all different. And together that makes you who you are right. and not a replicant. Yes. Right.
0: Yeah. And the the fact that we all have in we all have uh the a capacity to love, cherish what we have and and just be who we are is a pretty like there's a lot to unpack in these films. That's that's why we're there's a lot there is yeah. and and you can have a you, you can have a field day psychologically with all the characters and everything because you know Deckard is a very grumpy old he's he's like retired he doesn't he gets pulled out of retirement you know thrown back into the world that he wanted to get out of and he keeps seeing seemingly he just keeps getting into this constant cycle of being thrown into doing like like having being a proponent for replicants and their voice in a certain way because they don't they're it's like giving voice to the voiceless
1: in a way well, well how about the moment when he's brought into the the main headquarters mm-hmm. and uh Jared Leto's character is there and love is there and they bring in the Rachel replic- replicant mm-hmm. and he looks at her and she's like you know I love you I love you and he looks at her and he he just says her eyes were were green mm-hmm. And he just turns around and they just pull a gun out and shoot her right there. And she drops dead on the ground. Yeah. Uh, just so, indis just so indispensable, like just another. An- and that's, yeah, it, it was such
0: a, oh my gosh, like th- this. Is, I think Wallace is-, is one of the creepiest characters that has been like, I mean, it's played by Jared Leto. He's just creepy to be-
1: <laughs> begin with, but I mean, he walked <laughs> onto the first day, day on set. With the contacts in and had to be led to his spot. And I, I was reading a thing that yeah. said, like, basically people cried because it was such a powerful moment. Because he, he was p- completely
0: blind. Yeah. And he, but it adds to the, again, to the realism. And also it, it, it gives him a a depth of like, you don't know what's coming next. And that's what scares. He's such like, a his, calm. In, in, in the performance. And it has this soothing, almost like a. Priest giving his sermon to people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he thinks himself a god. He literally he thinks himself a god, and he's but he's more like a snake that you know. You provoke him, he will kill you. He'll just slit he'll your, he'll, yeah. he'll slit your throat. I mean, look what he does to the first replicant that they show, kind of that is being created, and it's like one of the new models, and he just kind of guts yep. her like a like a stuffed pig. Yeah. You know, and it's so calm about it after that. uh. And just what I found interesting also is that when love kills, she cries and it's a part of her losing her humanity. And the fact that she her tear ducts are actually activating at that point again, she's probably that's part of her own soul that she's she has no way out of figuring out why she's so violent and why she can't find any other means of expressing herself this is the only way to express herself but in a sense that's her way of expressing herself and it, and she mm-hmm. takes pleasure and it it it's a very archetypal femme fatale type of character but just a robot <laughs>
1: version of that it's all about the soul it's all about Again, we're beating. We've we've literally been beating this dead horse for like twenty episodes now. or well, we're not even that far in, like eighteen. A lot episodes. of the films that
0: we talk about though have to deal with this stuff, and that's what I love about film is that all these directors all have similar messages to say. Because in a sense, the directors be- become the vision and the voice for the voiceless, and also the voice for showing humanity what our faults are what our what our aspirations could be what we can do better to achieve a greater world
1: and i think ultimately too humanity it all starts with your soul right that's where everything for humans comes from all of our thoughts feelings emotions things we do it's all from the soul so that encapsulates the soul is what encapsulates humanity i believe and and blade runner The original and Blade Runner 2049 are beautiful films that tell a beautiful, deeper story than just a sci-fi action film that really dive into what is in your soul? What do you care about? What do you love?
0: Cool. That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Then boom. Zinger. Zinger. If you liked this episode, make sure to follow us on social media at Film Detectives for further news and upcoming shows. Join us next week as we explore filmmakers from around the world.